This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to... We're watching here! We're watching here! This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me, he's the snooch to my nooch, Perry Seibert. <laughs> Snoochy boogies. I, I, I could not figure out what to do, like, because Jay and Silent Bob was just too obvious. But I don't think either one of us wanted to be T.S. or Brody. So I just went with something that Good was call. off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah. Um, Good so call. Today we are going to be continuing our 5 from 95 series with Kevin Smith's Mallrats. If you have not listened to our take on David Fincher 7 a few weeks ago, go back and listen to that when you're done. Uh, It was a really fun episode. Thank you all for your patience as we kind of navigate the pandemic and technical difficulties. Uh, We're going to get episodes out when we get them out. And uh, yeah, so just bear with us. And we hope you are still all safe at home and watching a lot of movies. So, Perry, let's kick this off the way we usually do. What have you been watching? Uh, I want to talk about what I'm going to be watching. Okay. 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 Because I, I could talk about – I actually saw uh, uh, The High Note, which is uh, coming out today, I believe. Oh. Uh, the, available for rent, the Dakota Fanning uh, – movie that i don't want to talk about so let's talk about what i'm going to be watching which is father's day coming early to the cyber household for my uh, my pre-order of the uh, new criterion blu-ray of the scorsese shorts oh, arrived nice. today in my mailbox less than an hour ago from when we recorded and i am uh, i am eager to dive into this collection of student films and some early uh, early documentaries it's i'm excited because it contains Pretty much the last really available thing by him that I've never seen, which is his first student film, What's a Nice Girl Like You Doing in a Place Like This. I've never seen it in any format, and I'm super excited to finally see it tonight. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, I have seen Italian American, uh, and that might be it for the shorts for me on Scorsese. Um, That's a good one. But I I do really like that. Uh, So, yeah, I'm jealous of you. I'm sure that will be a lot of fun to watch. Yes. Um, I actually, How about you? Well, I was actually sent a screener of uh, The High Note to watch and ran out of time. Um, so I can't talk about that. Uh, I did watch a few episodes of the new Steve Carell comedy, Space Force, but I don't want to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, a lot of things I have seen you can read about. I have a review of The Lovebirds. Uh, I have some Spielberg pieces I have been uh, working on. I've been watching a lot of old school Steven Spielberg. Those are all up at BHM Pop Culture. But Perry, I also want to talk about what I'm going to be watching. Uh, and this is a, honestly, it, it's it's kind of corporate shill time. But uh, I was really surprised when I checked out HBO Max, which launched today as we're recording. Um, uh-huh. Like, I had really not given this a ton of thought. I knew HBO was switching from HBO Now or Go or to, uh, you know, to HBO Max. But really, to me, all that meant was you're getting some Batman movies and the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I was really pleasantly surprised at the catalog they have on that site. I think 
someone yes. counted, and it's about 1,600 movies. And, you know, the obvious stuff is there. You've got your Harry Potter. You've got uh, Batman movies. You've got all the regular Warner Brothers stuff you would expect. Although they did miss a great chance to co-brand and put the Mad Max movies on HBO Max, which, you know, whatever, they can do that. Um, (laughs) But this has, what I'm really excited is this has what I've wanted from a streaming service like Netflix or Amazon, uh, which they tend to not have, which is a really good back catalog of old films. Uh, many of which are pulled from the Criterion yes. Collection. Um, so I think it doesn't have the depth of the Criterion Collection there. Like, you're not going to really go down those deep rabbit holes that you get to go on Criterion. But it is a great starting point if you want to check out some of those movies. Uh, the Turner Classic Movie Archives are on there. Um, and just through different right, issue, right issues throughout the year, Warner Brothers has become the owner of Wizard... Well, they were always Wizard of Oz, but... Um, no, that was MGM at first. So they have Wizard of Oz. They have Citizen Kane. They have Casablanca. So there is a fantastic library yes. that most people have access to already just because they were HBO subscribers. Uh, a really big thing I am excited about, uh, Studio Ghibli is a very big blind spot for me. I don't know if I've seen a single Studio Ghibli film. And uh, I am really looking forward to sitting down with my kids and exploring those a bit. Um so that's what I'm excited about watching is just dipping into some older stuff there and kind of catching up on some things I should have seen long ago. Yeah, it's this was going to be as long as they did this right. It's it's very appealing. And of course, when uh, when Warner bought Turner. God, no, God, that's over 10 years ago at this point. All right. That's mm-hmm. maybe 20 years ago. Warner absorbed that impressive catalog, the catalog that, of course, Turner Classic Movies is built on. Mm hmm. Uh, so I was, I'm curious to see, uh, how, how often they're going to make all those available, how often they're going to let TCM continue to show them (laughs) (laughs) now. And I'm also curious, they, they claim that they're going, they're still on exceedingly friendly full terms with the, with, uh, the Criterion channel. So the supposedly they're not going to be keeping things off of there. That would be my hope. Uh, just because it's also on their service, they were they were relatively clear about that when the split happened, when uh, when Filmstruck died a couple years ago, that was the initial concern. It, it died because Warner Brothers was Warner was paying for the streaming. They were actually running the channel, even though they weren't programming it or anything. They were hosting it, and they dropped it because the, the big merger was happening, and uh, and they announced when Criterion and that they still have the full cooperation of Warner Brothers, just Warner wasn't in charge of actually streaming the stuff anymore. Yeah, I'm I'm really hoping it doesn't cut off any service there, that people don't kind of think, oh, I have HBO Max and I don't need Criterion, because you do need the Criterion channel if, if you love that stuff, because the special features and everything on there are fantastic. Um, and of course, in about a year from now, you can listen to the We're Watching Here special episode where we take in all four hours of the Snyder Cut. Uh, Are you thrilled about that, Perry? (laughs) You realize this is only happening because we're in a pandemic, right? 
Warner this, Brothers has no outlet to make new material. So this is the only reason this is being this is being thrown out there. Yeah, it's literally because they couldn't get the six leads from Friends to sit in a room and talk about the work yep. they did that they're like, oh, and I, I love that there was this online movement that the Snyder Cut exists and Warner Brothers reaction or answer is kind of, yeah, it does exist. It's in our car. <laughs> We're going to go get it. Um I, I will watch that because I am a glutton for punishment, but man, I remember Batman versus Superman, and I remember Justice League, and I am still having nightmares from those. Um, so yeah, but but it's it's a great it's a service that looks like a lot of fun. It looks like it has some really good things that I can't wait to check out. Um, I kind of wish I was watching it right now uh, instead of thinking about our movie of the week because our movie this week <laughs> is. Kevin Smith's Mallrats. Um, I am going to be the one to apologize first off on this because Mallrats, when we started talking about films of 1995, I immediately looked at what was released and I said, oh, Mallrats. I haven't seen that in in years. I think it kind of gets a bad rap. And I'd love to talk about Kevin Smith. And I am... I am really excited to vent some frustration about Kevin Smith and even talk about some things I really like about him. <laughs> but it did mean going back to watch Mallrats. Um, for those of you who are not aware, obviously Kevin Smith's big breakthrough was Clerks, uh, released at Sundance, made on a shoestring budget, ton of acclaim, becomes a cult hit. So Universal throws a bunch of money at him and he decides to do Clerks in a mall. Uh, for his second film. And it does get kind of a bad rap. It has kind of a cult following. Uh, there is a sequel apparently coming in the next year or two. Um, so I thought, eh, what the hell? We'll talk some all rats. Um, so before we do that, though, Perry, what were your thoughts on Clerks? I, I'm curious about that. If we, It's kind of an entry point to this. Were you a Clerks guy when it came out? I thought Clerks was... Uh... Uh, Clerks is exactly what it what it is. Mm-hmm. It's a really it's a really great example of a low budget mid nineties indie first film. Mm-hmm. I like Clerks. I have no problem with. It. I, I, I liked it at the time. I didn't love it. I didn't think it's this insanely great thing. I didn't think Kevin Smith was the voice of a generation. <laughs> I, I I like actors enough to want real actors in the film. <laughs> but there are there are laughs still to be had in Clerks, and it's an incredibly charming piece of work. And it's uh, and and boy, short of Soderbergh's Kafka, I can't name a, a quicker classic sophomore slump than Mallrats. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of with you on Clerks. Um, I may not have seen it in about gosh, I don't think I have seen Clerks since shortly after it hit. Um, I don't think I saw Clerks since shortly after it hit VHS. So late '90s. It's been a good 20 years since I've seen it. I kind of felt the same way. I, you know, it it's a movie that makes me laugh. I think Kevin Smith is really good at dialogue when he wants to be. Um, it's a movie that I tend to, if I want to see anything from Clerks, I'll pull up a clip on YouTube and I'm fine after like five minutes. Um, but it does have a low rent charm to it. I think it's it's definitely a nice example of what you can do on a shoestring budget. Uh, and I think it's the movie Kevin Smith wanted to make. Um so it's it's fine. Um, I actually think I may have seen Mallrats. Nope, I did see Clerks before Mallrats, but uh, it, it, Clerks wasn't my first film by him. Mallrats was 
probably one of the third or fourth I saw by him. Um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of liked Clerks, um, but I haven't felt any need to revisit it. Just like I hadn't, you know, I had seen Mallrats after hearing that it was pretty bad. I remember kind of chuckling at it, and then I don't think I've seen that one in about twenty years. So this was a this was a re- revisit I hadn't really been meaning to make for a few years, but I was down for it. Um, but what did you th- <laughs> what, what what are your thoughts on Mallrats? I'll let you get this started. I so I I will confess I I didn't go back and rewatch Chris. Okay, that, that... <laughs> I just. I just couldn't. That's advice. I didn't want to, and B, I couldn't find it anywhere, and I was not going to pay any money to rewatch mm-hmm. it. <laughs> so, um, I, I remember finishing it and thinking, okay, well, he got that out of his system. It got him a little more money. He basically fused Clerks onto your traditional '80s teen sex comedy. So it's it's basically Fast Times at Ridgemont High with uh, Clerks grafted over top of it without all of Cameron Crowe's skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a couple of laughs, but, oh my God, it, it finished, finished, and I remember thinking, and it's, 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 it's forever wedded with another film that came out near about the same time because I had the same response to both of them. Uh, I felt like, okay, great, you made, a, uh, you made a spoof of a film that isn't being made anymore. No one was making those teen sex comedies, those 80s teen sex comedies in 1995. And so I don't know what you're doing. And that's exactly how I felt about Wes Craven's Scream. Oh, no, no. Other than the first 10 minutes of – other than the first 10 minutes of Scream, I finished with Scream thinking, okay, you deconstructed the genre that nobody's been doing for 10 years. Why? What is the point of that? (laughs) <laughs> what I just felt it was like you you accomplished everything you wanted to do in Scream you accomplished with that opening with Drew Barrymore the rest of it's just literally overkill there's no reason you accomplished it and so that's kind of how I feel like you take the best 10 minutes out of Mallrats you accomplished it you, you didn't need make this whole movie we'll do the Scream battle another day because I am a uh, I'm a big fan of Scream but I have not seen <laughs> I, I have not seen Scream and again probably about 10-15 years um, but I, I think you're right on on Mallrats. It is a, is a better movie than Mallrats. Yeah, well, yes. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think it is Smith. Like Kevin Smith is, like you said, he's he's trying to make a movie he grew up with, but with his, you know, his very dialogue heavy take on it, and also his very flat aesthetic, which just. <laughs> does not work with the cartoon moments. Like there are, there's yeah. a Roadrunner cartoon basically trying to run through this movie with everything Jay and Silent Bob yes. do. But he, I think he pulls it off better later in his career. Um, but here it just, everything looks so ugly that it drags everything else down. Um, and I know it's yep. his second film, but he's, he's been kind of proud of his ugly films. So I'll still kind of, uh, I'll leave that dig against him. But I also just think watching this, I don't remember in my first viewing hating so many of the characters so much. Um, <laughs> Jeremy London, he, I, 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 I don't know if maybe someone else was signed up to play this role, but he, he is just such a bad fit for this, you know, for Smith's universe. He looks miserable to be there every moment. He he and he really looks like this is beneath him. Um and his character is an ass. 
who gets redeemed for being an ass uh, at the end of the movie. Like the the yes. whole reconciliation just drops everything that makes him such a dick. And yeah, I, I kind of I kind of hated him. I will say I think Jason Lee is the one exception because I think Brody's the one character in that movie who consistently made me laugh um, because Jason Lee plays him as a jerk, but he knows he's a jerk. Like Brody yes. knows how obnoxious and how horrible he is. And Jason Lee knows how horrible and obnoxious he is. So he leans into that. And so everything he said kind of got a chuckle from me, especially at the end on the game show when he's really leaning into that really heavy. Um, I think that's the one performance in the movie that I was like, oh, yeah, I, he knows what kind of movie he's making. He, you know, and I think it's why Jason Lee has worked so well with Kevin Smith. He gets whatever wavelength he's on and he he's in tune with that. I don't think anyone else kind of understands what Smith is trying to do. I don't know if Smith understood what he was trying to do. As a casting session for Chasing Amy, the movie's an absolute masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, you could convince me that the film's worthy of its existence just for that reason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, like you said, it's he got it out of his system. This is, I, I, although I don't know how you could have this film sitting in your system for that long because there's not much there. Like, I feel like I look at Clerks and whatever flaws Clerks has, you know, that's kind of part of its charm. It's it's kind of grungy. It's really crude. But I get the feeling like that comes from an honest place. Like that is the life Kevin Smith lived. That is how he talked with his friends. With Mallrats, I see this kind of, like you said, he's trying to cram that very awkwardly into a totally different genre, one that has probably a little more mainstream appeal, and it's just this really kind of acidic blend. Like, it just, it made me icky a lot of the time. Um, Yeah. I I also think there is a whole... And that was was before the stink, the stink palms. (laughs) Well, there's a whole thread of this movie. Stink palm or palm stink? Uh, I think it was stink palm. Uh, it, it, but there's a whole thread of this movie. Simple, yeah. There's a whole thread of this movie that it's come up and hinges on statutory rape. Like, and I, I oh yeah, like I, I don't understand who lets that pass, or it obviously would not get made today. But I don't like it. None of it is funny, and maybe I just got older, and maybe I would have thought that was funnier twenty years ago. I hope not. But it's this weird. I, I don't know. It's. It's this weird obsession that Smith has with, uh, you know, being edgy, but it's not really edgy. It's just juvenile. Well, it's his, it's his, it's it, <laughs> it's his Catholicism at play. It is someone who loves to talk about sex and is frightened of it. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. To show it. Uh, but that's you know that's been his problem throughout much of his career. It just gets laid bare really obviously in this movie because the talk was so, was so frank in clerks and was more direct and wasn't wasn't you you know there there's that running gag in mall rats about having sex in an uncomfortable place i'm yeah. like wh- why you you I mean, clerks famously got, they took the mpaa to court to have them take away the nc-17 rating it got because of language <laughs> it didn't have an NC-17 for showing anything. It was just language, and they actually argued it. What well, Alan Dershowitz argued it. Uh, they brought out the big guns, Miramax did, to make sure this was good publicity for the movie. And they got it released as an R without making a single cut to it. And then you watch this, and it's so 
it's so weirdly hidden and cutesy and so much more repressed than Clerks was. It's mm. just it's such a it's such a disappointing second film. It, and it really is. And it's I, the reason I think it's interesting is because it kind of foreshadows this thing that I think Kevin Smith did later in his career was, you know, you know, this is a filmmaker who doesn't want to press himself too much. I think that just became his modus operandi about halfway through was, yeah, I'm not going to try much anymore. You know, and he makes a whole second clerks where the whole theme is, eh, you know, why, why be ambitious? Just hang out with your friends, do what you love, which is great life advice, but it's, it makes for really bad art. (laughs) Well, it does in his hands. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Well, all right, Adam Sandler as well. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, that, but I feel like Clerks 2 is kind of helps me understand where Kevin Smith went afterwards, which is just, eh, you know, I, I just want to do what I've been doing the way I've been doing it, and I don't want people to hassle me. Um, but that's really how Mallrats feels is kind yeah. of, though, they gave me all this money, I'm just going to do the same thing. Um, I, I think it's funny. He, he talks a lot about how. Slacker influenced him. He he came out of the screening of Slacker and yeah. he was like, this is what I want to do. And, and I think he didn't realize that, you know, Richard Linklater went on and pushed himself. He was actually interested in film and filmmaking, not just watching movies. He was someone who took chances and pushed the envelope. And for a few years, I thought Kevin Smith was on that. We can talk Chasing Amy and Dogma went in a bit. But, uh, he just he hit a point where I think he hit some failure. Like I think he did Jersey Girl, which was this film. He apparently another one that he just had inside for years, but why? And uh, he got pilloried for it, yeah. and then just was deciding, okay, well, you know, snoochy booches. I'm going back to uh, going back to the well again, and that's what I'm going to do because it's safe, and I know I have a little audience there. Um, but even here, you can just see I don't want to try too much. Um, yeah, I. I don't know. There's not a ton that I would say about this film. Um, It's more Kevin Smith that I'm interested in talking about. Although he did, without him, we might not have the Marvel Cinematic Universe because he was the first one to get Stan Lee out there and do a cameo, (laughs) which might be the best acted piece in the whole movie. (laughs) Fair. Fair. I, I, I would accept that. Yes, if you, if you, if, you, if, you, if you, I, I would not argue that if someone felt that about that about the film. Yes, indeed. But even with that, even with like the comic book stuff, you can feel this kind of tension where I feel like there's a movie there. Like as much as Clerks was about, you know, people sitting around and talking Star Wars. Oh, maybe it's funny to have people sit around and talk comic books. But you can feel that hesitancy because at that point, comic books are not a popular thing. So they get a few sentences. There's the Stanley subplot, but really, then it's right back to the you know dick and fart jokes. And none of it is as, as smart as the Star Wars talking clerks. Yeah, which is really funny. That's yeah. It's um, he does a lot more like pop culture visual gags in this movie. Um, but I learned I just kind of hate the way he does movie homages because. His, his way of homaging a film is not to find a way to present his original material through that lens, but to say, hey, remember Batman? Here's a gag from Batman. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Like Batman. Um, it, it, you know, here's, here's uh, you know, 
I, gosh, I can't even remember what else was it. Oh, here's a uh, Beverly Hills 90210 joke. It makes no sense, but it, you know, remember, get the joke. It's funny because it's the thing you know, uh, which he kind of does. It's topical. Yeah, and he does it throughout his career. I think the only time I've, I, I felt like he took a gag and wove it in in a way that I'm like, oh, that's actually pretty clever, and he didn't bang it over my head, is uh, Chasing Amy. There's a scene where the scene where everyone is talking about um, their sexual experiences, and yes, and he does the Jaws thing. Yes, yes, that's the only time yes. I thought he's handled it kind of deftly, um, instead of oh hey look at this. Um, yeah, I just it, it, it's a movie that just it just kind of grated on me. Um, although again, I will say I think Jason Lee, I, I wanted Brody to be the lead of this. I. I I, and it feels like at times Smith did too, but I don't know if he had to lean on oh, yeah. Jeremy London a bit more. But Brody is the only character in the movie who I'm like, oh, he's kind of funny and he's original. And Jason Lee is having a ball playing this. I I want more of that. I even think Shannon Doherty's pretty good in it um, with, with the way she reacts to them and the way that relationship is just so unhealthy and they just lean into the unhealthiness of it. That that was That was the one part that got me <laughs> – kind of laughing was at the end when she's won over by how horrible he is. <laughs> I, I will admit, I also have a soft spot for almost any appearance in any movie by Michael Rooker. So I'm, I'm really good with Michael Rooker as the bad guy. <laughs> oh, I, he, I mean, he, he outclasses the movie. Um, I do like Michael Rooker. I think he's, he's the hard ass dad in this movie and he plays it really well. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I do think he's funny. Um, unfortunately, he has to be on the bad end of the stink palm. Of course. And who else, who else would we want on the, on the bad end of the stink palm but Michael Rooker? I mean, come on. that's. Uh, yeah, I mean, do, do you have much more to say about Mallrats, or do you want to move on to... No. I, I feel like... Okay, okay good, because no, the reason I wanted to bring up Mallrats... I really don't. Yeah, I wanted to bring up Mallrats because I did want to be able to say... You know, I, I think it is... You know, Kevin Smith is one of those figures in in the '90s in movies who I think is worth talking about because he Clerks was such a big breakthrough. Um, but I think this kind of gave us a clue that maybe Clerks wasn't quite the ceiling, but uh, it was the you know there was definitely a basement that this movie hinted at. Um, <laughs> so, so I want to use this to kind of say I think it's fascinating that he went. He went on after that, and maybe it was even the failure of, you know, people saying he's going back to the well that caused him to make Chasing Amy and Dogma, which I think are the two best movies he's made. Um, I, you know, I, I think Chasing Amy, which is a movie I wanted to revisit for this, but didn't the time didn't really allow. I, I think Chasing Amy is probably his most honest and best and funniest film. It's the best one, for sure, and it's still far from perfect, uh, but it is... Yeah, it's it's it is it is it is the only one that is genuinely emotionally ambitious. Like mm-hmm. he's really trying to get at something uh, that we haven't really seen too often, if ever, in movies. And that's that that's the close. You know, that was that was it. I always yes, he always talked about how much slacker influenced him, but I'm thoroughly convinced that was just because oh, you can make a film for eight thousand yep. dollars. Great. I don't think it had anything to do with the in this other than you didn't even have to write a story uh you know if, if he got close to link letter it was only ever with chasing amy and it's not in link class 
but it is really interesting. It's funny. Uh, it has it has a woeful climax that lasts. That the big payoff just has never worked for me. And every time I've seen it, and it's always a letdown. It doesn't feel honest. It doesn't feel real. It feels completely contrived. And uh, and that's that's awful because even the the denouement afterward works. When, when when they see each other again, does it is poignant, uh, and they're really good performances. It might be my favorite work by Ben Affleck ever as an actor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think I have a problem saying that. Uh, it's certainly Joey Lauren Adams' finest hour, uh, and it's it's it is it has all of the lo-fi charm of Clerks with a better script and better actors. It is it is a really good it is it is his best movie. I, I think it's coming in a little bit clearer now that I saw I saw Clerks, and I remember thinking, "Oh, okay, that kind of made me laugh," um, but you know, it, it was not like it had been built up for me that this is the funniest movie ever. This is this is amazing, and I was just kind of like, "Okay, that's you know, that's that's funny." Um, but I feel like when I saw Chasing Amy, it was at a time when I was starting to kind of take a few more risks in what I was watching, and I remember just that movie hit me really hard like oh okay here's someone who is writing very smart talking about relationships in a way that at that point i hadn't really seen on film um because kevin smith was also kind of my gateway to indie film um and it made me feel something like i'm like oh this is a movie where i like these characters i i feel like he's saying something there's a personality to this movie um so going back and watching mall rats i was like oh there's none of that there um, I also I love Dogma. I just revisited Dogma last year, um, and, and I think that is messier than Chasing Amy. It is a messy little movie, but I kind of love it for that because it is the most ambitious thing he has made. Uh, it is it is him taking ideas that I don't you know could only come from this mix of pop culture obsession, Catholic upbringing. And, and kind of melding together to make basically a comic book theology movie uh, that is just mm-hmm. this weird, funny thing that I I really love. And uh, again, was I think I've talked about this on the podcast. It was one of my first times being able to see, oh, so we can talk about religion and we can kind of laugh about religion and that's okay. And it still can end up in a place where it makes me think a bit. Um and so I kind of hold those still. I mean, and Dogma was 21 years ago. Uh, that's like, to me, the pinnacle of his career, those two films. Um, because then after that, it was Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, which I think it has some really fun moments. I think it's a fun little cartoon, but it's definitely a come down. It's got a great fart joke in it. It's got a five-star fart joke in it. I don't that's, rem- and that's, that's not a little thing. Hard to pull off a really good fart joke. There's a great fart joke in that movie. I don't know if I remember the fart joke in that movie. Um, <laughs> I, I remember the it's ch- after it's. I would argue it's it's the other moment where he successfully uh, rips something else off from the popular culture. It's the uh, it's the redo of the scene from Entrapment. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> where she's right. got to silently and quietly, yes. quietly move around. Yes, and she succeeds in doing it, and then rips one. That's good. That was that's that was a lot of that was a long take to set that up. I appreciate I appreciate that kind of effort and care that gets put into a fart joke. If only he would put that much effort and care into his characters. See, and actually, watch it. Thinking um, of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, I think back to Mallrats because watching Mallrats, 
I I liked what he was going for conceptually with the idea that Jay and Silent Bob are these cartoon characters who just kind of wander in and out of his movie and have their own weird adventures. I don't think it works in Mallrats because I don't think at that point he has the uh, the chops to make it as cartoony and frenetic as it needs to be. It's just kind of weird and out of place. But I think Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back is the movie that he thought he was making throughout Mallrats. Um, it, it's Jay and Silent Bob having their little cartoon <laughs> adventure. And it works so much better in that movie. I, I don't think that's a great movie, but it I do remember laughing pretty hard at that. Um, but then, you know, that was supposed to be his end to that. And then Jersey Girl, just I think. I think that's where the wheels came off. Sheesh. <gasps> Yeah, living proof where even he's given a world class cinematographer, he can't make an interesting looking movie. Yeah, I I mean, I don't remember much about how that I don't remember much about Jersey Girl at all. And I know I saw it opening night because I was like, Kevin Smith, serious ish movie. I'm going to love this. This is going to be great. And I just remember it kind of landing like a uh, lead balloon. But uh, I, I remember him talking that up, that this was his. You know, this was, I think, he thought going to be his big mainstream breakout. He was going to, you know, make a yep. lot of money with this. This might be his Oscar movie. Uh, and instead, it, I, you know, it, it came out the same time as Gigli, which didn't help. But, uh, and I don't, I think Jersey Girl's a lot better than Gigli. But uh, it, it just. I don't. Oh, really? I don't. I would much rather watch Gigli again. Oh, I'm not saying Gigli's any good, <laughs> but Gigli's terribleness is unique and, and, and impressive. That is where true. Where Jersey Girl is a complete bore. <laughs> okay. I, a complete bore. Yeah, it's – I mean, it is – it's basically Kevin Smith making a family movie at that point. At, at Jersey Girl is. I mean, it's a PG-13 yes. movie with George Carlin. Uh, it, like – I guess Bill and Ted yeah. had him, and that's PG. But uh, it, it, yeah, and I think that broke something in him um, because he is notoriously not good with criticism. Um, and I think he thought this was going to be it. This was going to be his acceptance. And then instead, it's Clerks 2 right after that, which is another one I, I know I've seen. I think I own it somewhere. Well, 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 I, I, I want to pick over the dead carcass of, of Jersey Girl just sure. a little bit more. Sure, Because it really has – it contains the single mo- – I can tell you the sequence in the movie where he dies as an artist, where he's, he's truly done and never recovered. And he's committed the same mistake at least one important time after that. This is a man who, who was lauded for dialogue. Right. Mm-hmm. This is what he, he can do. He, he can write dialogue. I'm not saying it's always great, but he's comfortable writing it. He can give it to actors, actors who know how to deliver it, and it's at least talk. <laughs> That's what he – we know he can't make a series of interesting images, so he can at least string together words. The key moment, I think about halfway through the movie – I haven't seen it since I saw it in the theater <laughs> – is when Ben Affleck has to deliver this impassioned speech right, to, to the group of people. Yeah. That's going to win them all over. He's, he's an ad man and he's come home to talk to the, I, what are they, the workers somewhere. I don't even remember the plot. I don't care. But if you remember, remember the sequence in the movie, it totally dumb shows it. Like you don't get any actual dialogue from him. You just get a series of, as I remember in my mind, like fades to the audience just being enraptured by what he's saying. And you never get to hear what he says. Like he even backs out of doing the one thing he's supposedly good at writing. 
he's he he cannot make himself write this speech. <laughs> like what you you don't even care. You can't even try to do what you do best at this point. And yeah. that that was where I was like, no, you're done. You you have nothing in the tank. You, you don't you don't care. Oh, he had, you are too afraid. He had something in the tank because he's been going for however many many more years. But yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. And uh, I not, totally nothing agree. worth looking at. Yeah, yes. Uh, how yeah, did you? It's, how it's did you, a really it's a really awful movie. It, it it's really bad. I re, I do remember a part with Will Smith, and I'm not saying I remember that part being good or bad. I just remember randomly Will Smith showing up, talking and yep. then leaving. Um, that that's about that is my that is my memory of Jersey Girl is an awkward Will Smith scene, um, and then two hours padded around that somehow. How do you feel about Clerks too? He's basically doing the Charlie Sheen scene from Ferris Bueller. That's yeah, all it is. Yep, that's yep. exactly what it is. He just shows up at the end to drop the pearls of wisdom that allows the character that's behaved one way the entire movie to suddenly behave another way. That's yes. all it is. How do you feel about Clerks 2? I don't remember a thing about Clerks okay. 2. I saw it in the theater. I remember Rosario Dawson's in it. And there's some joke about kids even being younger than them working at fast food. And otherwise, it's and there's a isn't there a dance sequence to like ABC? There is a dance sequence. It I, I remember watching that, and I think when I saw that, I was fairly into that, into Clerks too. Um, and and I think there was a part of me just thinking, oh, Kevin Smith, he's going back and doing what he does best. He's just going back and doing what he does. But uh, you, you know, I. I it has a color palette to it, which Clerks doesn't have. Um, but yeah, that's true; it does. And it, it it's does. a very bright and actually, I remember thinking it's it is a very it's a bright film. I don't want to say it's well photographed because I honestly don't remember it uh, as much. I remember laughing. I remember there were Lord of the Rings and Star Wars jokes, um, but I, I do remember it was that feeling of you know I stumbled bad. So I need to go back and uh, do the thing that made me famous. Um, and then it literally ends with, I mean, the whole plot for uh, Dante in that movie is he's getting ready to grow up, to get married and move on and get a new job and everything. And the movie ends with him dumping his girlfriend, deciding to buy the convenience store and just work at the convenience store for the rest of his life. Um, which, again, maybe. Yeah. Maybe someone could make that work, but it just at that point feels like Kevin Smith going, I know where I belong, which yes. is sad to me because I, I it, one thing I've left out of this is as many problems if I, as I have with his movies, I like Kevin Smith, the person and the personality quite a bit. Um, I do I, too. I, I think there is an alternate universe where he never made movies and became a stand-up comic and he was beloved for that. Um, I spent a weekend in Akron <laughs> by myself, Akron, Ohio, by myself, because I had tickets to go see him do one of his shows, and it was fantastic. And I I just yes. I wish he could bottle that talent he has. And again, he's he's he created the podcast empire. Um, you know, so he he's definitely known that's one of his strong suits. But I wish he would show that ingenuity and that passion in his movies. Uh, and I just feel like the last, like, it's bummed me out for to look at his last 12-year filmography. Um, 
I feel like Zack and Mary make a porno is the high point. And I don't know how much of a high point that is. Um, I, I, will, I would argue that that movie has his single greatest achievement in it. Okay. Honestly. <laughs> Writingly and cinematically, the payoff, the, the scene when they finally do have sex is absolutely a, a wonderful piece of, of emotionally smart, cinematically smart, character-driven revelation about human behavior. It's, it's, it's his finest moment. Um, it's not worth digging through the whole movie to get to it. <laughs> you, you, I mean, you, and especially now it's hard to fathom. I mean, you know, what was that? 2007, I want to say, uh, is that right? 2008. Year on that? 2008. Yep. So that's like the last time that you were going to get Seth Rogen <laughs> and not, not cede to him all of the power and control. I mean, if nothing else, that film should, should let you know how really talented Seth Rogen is. Not because he's great in the movie, but because all of the stuff that he's written and produced and directed himself since then is so much better oh, yeah. <laughs> than, than that. Um, you know, it's, it is, it is, you're right. It is, it is the only one of those films, the films we're going to talk about next that I would tell anybody to, if you were interested to check it out, it's not a bad movie. It's not a good movie, but it's not a bad movie. Uh, it might be the only movie that has ever almost gotten me excommunicated from my church. Uh, <laughs> I, I, rem- I, I remember I saw Zach and Mary make a porno and I wrote a review. And from what I remember, I did write a pretty positive review of it. Um, like, and I think my headline might've been go see porno or <laughs> something like that um well the problem was some people from my church lived in the community where i wrote and i got about three or four angry calls from people at my church asking what i was doing recommending this movie to them um so that's that's why that movie stands out but i also remember at that time that is about the same time judd apatow was really gaining steam because that would have been a few years after um after 40 year old virgin had come out. Yeah. And I remember at that time there was kind of this, this attitude coming from Kevin Smith that, well, Judd Apatow is doing what I've been doing all along. But when you have those lined up next to each other and you compare, you know, a mall rats to a 40 year old virgin or knocked up, you be, you know, I think Smith's flaws stand out so much more because Judd Apatow, a, he can write circles around Kevin Smith, but his movies are also the, you know, his characters are often juvenile slackers, but there is growth that comes out of that. And he's a filmmaker who has wanted to grow and also wanted to just put other people up and, and get them, you know, get them out in front of the camera. And he's just done such a great job discovering people that it almost feels like Seth Rogen's doing Kevin Smith a favor almost to kind of say, I'll throw you a bone with this. Um, I, I remember those, those really like that standing out really strongly to me that, oh, I used to love Kevin Smith, but I think Judd Apatow is actually showing me how it's done. Uh, and, and I remember that standing yeah. out very clearly at that point. Um, and I think his next film cop out, maybe we did a, uh, we did an episode a few, few months ago where we talked about our favorite cinematic experiences going into the movie theaters, having the best time in theaters cop mm-hmm. out is actually, I think Cop Out is the single worst experience I have ever had at a movie theater. (laughs) 
how, how could the movie be made worse for you? And I should say, I'll be honest up front. I'm joking. I've never seen Top Out. Oh my gosh. I was, I was completely over both him and Bruce Willis at that point. I was like, I could not care less about this. I, uh, Cop Out, there was no movie where I would, was more on board with wanting to like it. I wanted Kevin Smith to have his, uh, his big comeback. I have been a Bruce Willis fan longer than it's advisable. I really like Tracy Morgan. And yet I have never seen a movie try so hard to throw jokes at you and them just bounce off the screen. And it was the most stone-faced audience I've ever seen. And it was just I, yeah. I did not laugh once. It was none of the jokes are clever. Bruce Willis, I and Kevin Smith has been very open that he hated working with Bruce Willis on this movie. But when you re- listen to Kevin Smith tell the story, you're realizing, no, I think Bruce Willis just did it. Figured out that you didn't know what you were doing, uh, and doesn't want to. Yep. D- doesn't want to deal with that. I mean, he could have also been doing a payday performance too, because Bruce Willis loves to sleep on camera. But uh, I-, I feel like. <laughs> Tracy Morgan maybe had one of one line that made me laugh. And if Tracy Morgan can't make me laugh throughout a movie, it's doing something very wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, they, the bad blood from the set was out before the movie came out. Came out, out. So, you know, that that's, that that's, <laughs> that's just unbelievable that that wouldn't have been squashed. That, that if they thought this was any good, they would have buried that. Or they would have amped it up even more to make it a selling point. But, oh, my God, it's such a I, – I just – I never had any interest, ever. And then I – No, I, but I, did, I didn't jump off the Kevin train for good yet. Oh, can't wait. Uh, his next it one was – one more for that to happen. Would it have been his next one, Red State? Yes. Yep. That, that was when I, uh, when I jumped off as well. Um, Red State was again – there is no movie that could have been set up more for me. Kevin Smith trying to make a horror movie. Maybe it wouldn't work, but I was kind of intrigued. Kevin Smith making a movie about a Westboro type call. Oh yeah. I'm there for that. I, I was anticipating this movie. Uh, I would have been there opening night, except he did that whole thing where he was going to sell the movie and then bought it and four walled it, which he always knew he was going to do. Um, yep. And then it just, I've never seen a movie chicken out of its premise so quickly. Uh, it just, he, he's not a filmmaker who knows tension or horror. It, it just sits there. And I, I, from what I remember, it ends everything. It wraps everything up with a character telling us what happened yes. in the last five minutes. It, like it wastes John Goodman. Like, yes. Yeah, yeah, that that was where I I jumped off. I you said that's where you did and too. And again, yeah, and it's it was exactly that moment when they have set up this fantastic final confrontation that the the bells go off and there's a smash cut to the FBI agent telling us what happened. Yeah, like, did you run out of money? Did you literally run out of money before getting to shoot the final thing, or were you afraid to shoot the final thing? <laughs> I just don't. It's just. I, I and I I even tried with what the hell was that next one Seal Flipper what the fuck is that thing called Tusk Tusk 
I got 30 minutes in a tusk and I was like, oh God, I hate this and turn it <laughs> off. I, I don't. I, I, you, you lost. Do you know, Chris, what somebody has to do to make me turn off a movie <laughs> in the middle of it? I don't. I found out with that movie. It almost, it practically never happens. I can stick through anything. Oh God, that movie's terrible. <laughs> I, I have not seen oh. it because I'm very hesitant to go see a movie where the behind the scenes notes are basically, oh yeah, we were talking about this on our podcast and just decided to make it. Um, because that's exactly how Tusk started out was him talking on his mm-hmm. podcast and deciding there. And I, from what I've heard, again, I haven't seen Tusk, but I've heard that the end credits, instead of music over the end credits, he plays that podcast episode. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, The thing with Red State, going back to that, have you heard about what his original ending to that was? Uh, No. No, I have not. It was basically going to be, you hear the trumpets going off, and instead of it being a bunch of stoners just playing a prank, it was the real apocalypse. And, you know, the angel of death comes down and and strikes. So he was... (laughs) So he basically was... He was going to flip the end of the Von Trier film. He was going to flip the end of Breaking the Waves. Yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I don't know if Kevin Smith could do that. But, I, you know, it's better than John Goodman saying, here's what happened. Um, I, have, I have to admit, Kevin Smith in 1995 doing a comedic version of the storyline in Breaking the Waves makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I got to be honest. That's not the worst pitch I've just come up with right now. I, I you know, <laughs> uh, I have not seen Yoga Hosers, but from what I understand, he runs around as a Nazi sausage, um, and that is basically clerks up north with Nazi sausages, um, and his daughter and more Johnny Depp. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah, the Johnny Depp thing. I don't, I don't understand either. I know their kids go to school together, and that's kind of how he gets them in his movies. Um, Johnny Depp, I don't understand anymore either. It's fine. It's not even a Johnny Depp thing. I don't understand what Johnny Depp is doing at all in life or his art. You know what, though? I will say a few nights ago, I did show my son um, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. He's still fantastic in that one. That is still a movie that that I like, but that was was also the end of the Depp train there. Right after that, when they backed that money up for him. Just uh, uh... Uh, last weekend, uh, I, well, I rewatched. Uh, my, I think I'm pretty sure I might be forgetting something in the filmography. But the very last time I thought Johnny Depp was great in a movie, and that was his cameo in Twenty One Jump Street. That is a fantastic cameo in a fantastic movie. It's so good. Yeah. It yes, is. I, I like that one a lot. Um, yeah, and then you know his most recent movie was Jay and Silent Bob reboot, which I know, as of our last conversation, you have not seen, correct? I have not, but that is because I have a very dear friend of mine, uh, Jen. Shout out to Jen, who uh, we uh, we have a deep history and love for Kevin Smith, and uh, we promised we were going to watch it together. So even though it's sitting there on Prime, I have not watched it, and not not out of anything, not out of any I'm not watching this at all uh, sentiment. I, I will I will watch you go to the well one more time and <laughs> hear the bucket scrape against the dry dry ground. But only if I can do it with one of my dear friends with me. I believe I talked about it on the podcast. Uh, I saw it a few months ago. I think it was one of the movies I rented before I realized I'd be stuck inside watching movies for three months. Uh, And it's the best thing he's made in 10 years. But uh, 
I mean, if you've listened to us for the last hour, you know that that's not the highest praise in the world. Um, that is a low, low bar. It is very weird to see a very thin, silent Bob and a very old Jay, uh, which kind of makes kind of kind of casts a pall of sadness over the whole thing. Um, <laughs> that maybe maybe made me give it a few sympathy laughs. But uh, one thing I think Kevin Smith has done in recent years, especially since I know he's had a heart attack, he's had some health issues, he's he's really become a very, very sincere in a lot of his conversations. And it is weird. There is a sincere streak that runs about 15 minutes in the Jay and Silent Bob reboot that I honestly was kind of surprised. I'm like, oh, that's actually a very heartfelt thing that I did not expect from this franchise. Um it's kind that's of, intriguing to me. I would want. I would like to see that. There's I'm an interesting direction. Um, I mean, in his net, his lineup is Helena Handbag, which I have no idea what that is, and of course Clerks Three, and Mallrats Two. Um, oh God, yeah, that'll never happen. Oh, he keeps talking. About, it's, <laughs> Mallrats Two will no, never happen. He just finished the script he announced a few weeks ago. I remember seeing that that news article, and it's a somber. It's a more bittersweet movie called. Uh, Twilight of the Mallrats. Um, I don't even like having oh, just watched Mallrats a few oh. weeks ago. I don't know what a somber like to me. To me, the saddest thing about a Mallrats movie would be that those characters are still alive and still hanging out and going to the mall when they should. I, I they should all be in jail by now or something. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I do know he's he's done a lot of TV in the last few years. I mean, he's dead of some sort of E. coli infection, right? <laughs> I mean, at the very least. That's... <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's like he keeps doing sequels to movies when he keeps continuing the characters through you know, everyone else's film, which I guess is just what Marvel does, but th- they're kind of good at it. Um, but, yeah, I, I I don't know the appeal for a Mallrats 2. Um, God. God, I kind of regret picking this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I do, I do, I do, I want to, and I agree with about his, his live stuff is great. He's a fabulous talker. And, and even if you've seen one of those shows, it's worth seeing a, a, another one. Like he's got mm-hmm. so many good stories and knows how to hold a room. And that holds true on his commentary tracks. The commentary track for Jersey Girl is so entertaining. It's you're like, how did you how how did you make a movie this bad if you can be this funny? Like I don't understand at all. All I've listened to the Jersey Girl soundtrack. I did not watch the movie at time, but yes, I did listen to the commentary track, and it's like, wow, you you I mean, you hate that it's so bad and you're eaten up about it, but even in this moment, he tells this amazing story about there's a there's a cut of the little girl in the movie there's like a uh, there's a cut to her her and she she has this surprised look on her face and and he goes on this five minute riff and i think ben affleck's doing it with him where they talked about how they had an idea to recut the entire movie as a remake of village of the damned <laughs> where like well like just just cut to her and her eyes looking like that and then have a shot of ben affleck like being thrown like by nothing into a wall and that's so it's really well done and so much funnier than anything that he put in a film over the last 20 years. It's it's such it's such a shame. And it's 
It's so weird. He's become famous and is good at so many things other than the thing he originally became famous for. I don't know anybody else that's managed to pull that off quite like that. That's it's 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 almost impressive. He well, and the thing is, is too. I, I I follow him on Facebook because I do think he he's a fun follow on those platforms. He he writes a ton, and some of it's really funny, some of it's really insightful. And I remember him posting pictures and videos throughout the shoot of Jay and Silent Bob re- reboot. And he had just had his heart attack about the time they started shooting, and it was just filled with so much joy that he was making movies with his friends. He buried the hatchet with Ben Affleck. And I, I found myself, I'm like, I want to root for this guy. I, I would love nothing better than for an old Kevin Smith to deliver something that knocks my socks off. But I just, I don't know that he has it in him anymore. Um, I think some people come out and do a few movies and they get whatever they need to say out of their system. Um, and I think he's one of those guys. I, I think he's, you know, he he's made his movies. He's made his statements. And I, I don't know that he has another great one in there. And I am happy to be proven wrong if he wants to do that. If he could only collaborate, if he would give himself over to somebody and work on a script with somebody, somebody who could complement what he does well, mm-hmm. I, I, I think the world is there. I, he just doesn't care. He's not that's and that's the thing that's aggravating. He is he he is absolutely the quintessential cinema slacker. Yeah. I mean at least he's on brand. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But but yeah. He I, it. I he has I, I've heard very good things about his T V work. Um I know he's directed a few episodes of like The Flash and the Goldbergs. Um and I think there's something to what you're saying because I think T V is Often, a, you know, it's a medium where you have to come in and a showrunner is telling you, this is what we need you to do. It has to line up with this. And they put a rein on those instincts. And uh, I wonder if that's that's maybe the best place for him is other people's properties with someone else kind of keeping him in check. Uh, and he can he can cut to a joke. Yeah. That's all you have to do in a sitcom is know how to cut to the joke. Maybe they even let him bring Jay and Silent Bob wander in for a frame because I know they've wound up <laughs> they, they somehow ended up to bring this full circle, Jay and Silent Bob somehow <laughs> ended up in a scream movie. Yes. Yes uh, they did, didn't they? Which which was about the time Mirror I Max. Yep. About the time I gave yeah. up on Scream. So <laughs> do we have anything else to say about Kevin Smith? No, I don't think we. No, do. we we don't. We and we've said nothing that Kevin Smith won't say much more interesting on his own. Exactly. <laughs> but yes. Well, that's our second of our five from ninety-five, and next week, Perry, I'm really excited for our next one because it is a movie that you suggested that I have to admit I hadn't even heard of until you suggested yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, why don't you tell the fine folks what it is? This is 1995's Smoke, directed by Wayne Wang, and one of the few films you'll ever see that uh, the film by credit is shared by the director and the writer. It is a film by Wayne Wang and Paul Auster, and it's based on it's based on a Paul Auster short story. Uh, and it is, uh, boy, I'm 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 so excited to talk to someone who's never seen it before. It is, uh, 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 it's it's a it's a charmer. It's a winner. <laughs> I am really looking forward uh, to that. Seek it out. I'm I'm happy that you're going to give it a look. 
and uh, I hope others out there do, do too. It's I. It was my favorite film that year. Um, just sort of because I have a love for little films with really smart talk in it. <laughs> Twenty five years later, yes, Seven's a better movie, but I, I have. Uh, I, I have a deep, deep love for Smoke, and I'm, I'm very excited for people to see it. One of my very favorite Harvey Keitel performances, uh, with, uh, William Hurt in a gear that he hasn't quite done before, fantastic, uh, Forrest Whitaker, Stockard Channing, um, oh, oh, uh, Jared Harris in a very small part, that's great, Giancarlo Esposito, and the first, I, I, the first time I ever saw uh, Harold Perrineau, who's gone on to do great work in, on Oz, on HBO, and a bunch of stuff. It's a, it's a, I, I like this movie a ton, Chris. I am really excited to see that. In the meantime, we know we're both at home, but where else can people find you, Perry? You can find me on Facebook under my name. You can find me at Twitter at Perry Loves Film. And you can hear me every Friday morning on the Lucy and Lance show uh, on Ann Arbor, 1290 AM. And if you don't live near Ann Arbor, you can actually find that online as well. And hear my segments where I gab about something movie related every Friday morning. You can find me on Twitter at Mere Christianity. You can find me on Facebook, probably complaining about politics or something like that. Uh, but you can also find my reviews at BHM Pop Culture, uh, same place you can find this podcast. Uh, right now, I, I know there's a review of The Lovebirds up there, and I am currently doing a revisit of all of Steven Spielberg's movies. I started with Duel, and I'll be going straight through to West Side Story in December. So uh, give them a read. And, God, you're really uh, gonna do all of them? I'm gonna. You're do gonna all really of them. do all of them? I, you're gonna do 1941? Oh, 1941 <laughs> is in two weeks. I, I, yeah, yeah. You're I, gonna I, do always? Oh God, well, always is so terrible. There wasn't a lot of thought put into this. <laughs> Hook. God, I, you're gonna suffer through Hook again. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel bad for you. I enjoy it. I just, I feel bad for you. Well, I like people to watch me suffer, but also it means I did get to watch Jaws again. <laughs> and that, that kind of makes up for it all. Just being able to watch Jaws once more. Um, and Close Encounters is up next. And so there, there's some stuff I really like in there. Um, but listen along. I'll be talking about the good and the bad. It'll be at BHM Pop Culture. And we will see you <laughs> when the next episode hits.